We've been praying all week that God would use this opportunity to speak into your lives, and uh, I'm excited for that today. So if you have your orange bulletin, grab that today. There's some notes in there you can follow along with us. I want to welcome everybody that's joining us on Facebook, and uh, we're looking forward to a great service today. We're in the middle of a little mini-series, two-week series called Believe, and uh, today I'm going to start you out with a, with a verse out of a scripture out of Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Mountain, however you have read that. Probably one of Jesus's, if not the most influential, for sure one of the most influential messages that he ever spoke that we have in its entirety. Very short, to the point. And this is what he says in uh, Matthew 5, verse 6. It says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those, blessed are people that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's ways, righteousness, for they will be filled. They'll be filled with God. They'll be filled with his ways, with his presence, his spirit. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here. And so I thought this would be Memorial Day weekend. We're cooking out, barbecuing, hamburgers, all that kind of stuff all weekend. I thought this would be a great hungry message for us today. Aren't you glad that I started with that? at 10 o'clock in the morning that we can talk about being hungry this morning. Isn't that good? Anybody already hungry? Y'all ready for lunch? I rarely miss breakfast and accidentally I missed breakfast this morning. I didn't eat anything. Usually I just have a bar because it gets me by, but I didn't have it this morning. So I'm already feeling the pain. You know what I mean? I'm ready for that. I'm at least a three or four square meals a day kind of guy. Y'all with me on that? Uh, How many in here like to try different types of food? You like, are you a different kind of person? How many of you could, you just like it plain? Just give me the same thing all the time. About half and half. All right. Well, getting ready for this message reminded me of uh, one of my favorite hungry stories in the entire world. When uh, I've talked about Jenny and I, when our first youth pastor, our first ministry position in uh, the big town of Tishomingo, Oklahoma. And, um, and it was about Thanksgiving time. And one of the couples in the church, um, I won't say their name. One of the couples in the church invited us over to the house for some, for some dinner one night, uh, getting close to, it had been after Thanksgiving because of what I'm going to tell you. So it was after, between Thanksgiving and Christmas and they invited us over. And when we got there, they said, oh, you guys, we're, we're pulling out all the stops tonight. We're, we're having steak. That immediately got me excited about it. We're going to even do it a little different. We're going to have steak fingers. And I was like, okay, I'm all for that. I'm all for some steak fingers. And if you have never had deer steak fingers, you're going to love this tonight. And I immediately, now I love deer, but I immediately look at my wife and I'm like, oh my goodness, because she is not uh, like beef, pork, chicken, amen. That's it. Nothing, nothing messy, nothing weird, uh, especially no deer that we saw running down the street or out in the field before. That's, that's kind of her thinking. So that night we're at this couple's house and they fi- they're fixing the steak fingers and you know we're walking around the house visiting, setting, setting, and she's kind of giving me eyes like, how am I going to tell them I'm not eating this? Like, I don't, how do you do that? You know, how do, how do I be polite and, and say, uh, you know, how do you say that politely? And they, they bring in the steak, you know, they fry them up. They're, you know, like breading on them and everything. It's great looking. They bring them in, set them down. And the husband looks to the wife and he goes, oh man, did, do we not have any gravy for tonight? And she was like, well, no, I, I used the last of the milk soaking the deer meat in. You know, sometimes you soak the deer meat overnight in milk and it helps take out some of the gamey taste. And we soak 
the, the milk, the last of our milk, we soak the, the deer fingers in that. And, and uh, we're not talking about on their hooves, not like fingers, those kind of fingers. It's like deer steak that they sliced up, make like chicken fingers, but they're deer fingers. And just making clear. And, and the husband said, well, and, and she said, well, the gravy that I used to soak the deer fingers in and it's bloody and stuff. And he goes, well, just make some blood gravy then. And she was like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. And Jenny looked, she just looks at me, the, the faking it was over. And the, the wife went in there, man, and she just whipped up some gravy. Now, let me just be honest with you. I ate everything that was put in front of me and loved it. It was awesome. It was great. I figured it's, there was blood in the deer meat before it was cooked. There's blood in the gravy before it was cooked. It was awesome. It all tasted great. They did a great job. And Jenny ate nothing that night. She pushed the, the deer fingers around on her plate. She ate some potatoes, and then she pushed them around and ate some green beans, and she pushed them around. And at the end of the night, there were still deer fingers with gravy on them right there on her plate. Oh, thank y'all so much. And we left there and went to Dairy Queen and got her something to eat. <laughs> How many would be right there with Jenny that night with the blood gravy? Is that... Yeah, that make you, that, that help you tide you over to lunch a little bit right there. Some blood gravy story. Anybody ever had blood gravy in here? All right, there's four of us, five of us. Awesome, awesome. We probably won't live long, but it's all right. It tasted good. But, but Jesus isn't talking about physical hunger like I was talking about, but you know that we're all born with a physical hunger in our lives, right? It, Babies from the word go, they come out of the womb and within a few minutes, they're ready for something to eat. Isn't that funny? They, they have only eaten through the umbilical cord for nine months and they're out within a couple of hours. They're ready to eat something. And you know what? We're designed the same way spiritually. We've trained ourselves different ways. Different people have trained ourselves different ways, but you're created with a spiritual appetite in your life. Did you know that? And I believe that Jesus wants us to pull up to the table and have some spiritual food every single day in our life to be hungry for what he can give us also. Like, I don't know about you. I, I wasn't joking when I said three or four square meals a day. I'm, I'm all for a good three or four, maybe, maybe three and a half, something like that. It depends on, you know, if you eat at five, I mean, if it's five hours before you go to bed, that's plenty of time for another meal, amen? Yeah. The fourth meal right there. So you know what I'm saying? Like we, we kind of laugh about that because we all kind of feel it. And not to be the same way spiritually. God wants us to hunger for him. So we're going to start today with this message about being hungry for God, hungry for righteousness. And I want you to get this one thing. If you don't get anything else for the rest of that, I want you to get this. According to Matthew 5, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled I want you to get point number one is that God rewards those, rewards the hungry and the thirsty people. Did you know that all through God's word, from Genesis to Revelation, and we're gonna read some of both of those, all the way through God's word, he rewards those who are hungry and thirsty for him. And I wanna encourage it. Here's my goal for this message today. Where are you at on the hungry scale for God? Where are you at in your life? Are you, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, one being not very hungry at all, I can, I can do with one hour a week on Sunday morning to a 10 being, I, I spend time with God multiple times a day, every day of the week, throughout the week, somewhere in there. Not, not, not that doing is hungry, but a lot of times doing reflects our attitude, right? And I, if I say that physically, you know what that means. If I'm hungry, if I keep telling my wife I'm hungry, we're riding around running errands, she can tell you, you know what's gonna happen when I pull up at the house? Scott's going to hit the fridge. 
because he's hungry physically. So there's some actions that follow that. And I want to let you know there's all kinds of great scripture that encourages us and inspires us to let our actions follow our spiritual appetite. Think, think about these people. Think about blind Bartimaeus. Have, you remember blind Bartimaeus in the Bible? Blind Bartimaeus was the guy that Jesus was coming into town with the disciples. And blind Bart, he was the one yelling, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And people were like, shh, hey man, chill. This is like the, the king of the Jews. You need to be respectful. And he would push them aside. And he's listening for the crowd of Jesus. And he's going toward Jesus yelling, blind, or he's, like, he's yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And finally, he works his way through the crowd, being totally disrespectful, yelling and hollering, allowing his appetite to lead him. Jesus says, come here, I got something for you, and heals blind Bartimaeus' eyes. And it was only because his hunger drove him to get the reward that Jesus wanted to give him. Amen? You, you understand that? And so many people throughout Scripture, it's the same way over and over and over. It was the people that pushed in. You remember the woman with the, the issue of blood? It said that she suffered with an issue of blood for 12 years. In, in the book of Matthew 9 or 10, somewhere around in the chapters 9 or 10, and it said there was a big crowd around Jesus. In fact, I love the way the King James says it. There was a crowd thronging. It's a, a, an older Scottish word that means crowd. There was a crowd thronging Jesus. There were people pushing in. There was a crowd going with Jesus. And how many know there's always a crowd, right? Let me just tell you that not... Not everybody in the throng is the one touching Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Everybody was touching him, but not everybody was touching him. Y'all with me on that? And it says this one lady who is desperate for a healing in her life got down on her hands and knees and worked her way through the crowd, pushing through the crowds. What she said, everybody say pushing. Mm, that's a good one right there. Pushing through the crowd until she reached out and touched Jesus' cloak. It says she touched the hem of his cloak. And Jesus stopped and turned and said, who touched me? And you know what his disciples said? They always came up with the best ones. They said, Jesus, lots of people are touching you. How are we supposed to know who touched you? And he goes, no, who touched me? And the lady stood up and she said, it was me. And he said, go, you have been healed. Can I tell you that God rewards people who are hungry and thirsty after him? who are hungry and thirsty for truth, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, who are hungry and thirsty for more than this world can offer them. How many have ever pulled up at the table of the world and had your feast and left that table wanting? Have you ever been there before? And Jesus says, I know, that's the way the world's designed. But I wanna tell you that I'll reward people who will hunger and thirst after me. I will never leave you hungry. In fact, over and over again, scripture tells us, if you drink from me, you will never hunger and thirst again because I'm the living water. Have you ever heard that? L listen to one of my favorite stories about somebody pressing in. It's just one of those stories that's it's a little bit awkward and you read it and you go, oh my goodness, I so want to be like that. It's in, it's in Mark chapter seven and the, the little heading that you get, you know, when you get a little passage in your chapter and there's a little heading and it, it tells you what you're fixing to read. This says the gentle woman. And I love it because, you know, not all of us are wired to be out loud and hollering and going after Jesus and crazy for Christ and all, and not, all of us, not, all of, not all of us are wired that way. And this scripture, this passage is, is for you because you don't have to be crazy for Jesus if you're hungry for him. You know what I'm saying? And it's this gentle woman, it says this, and we're gonna read this little passage in Mark 7. Starting in verse 24, it says this, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. 
He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the, the table or take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. You think maybe Jesus was testing it a little bit? Like, how, how hungry are you? How hungry are you? You're here. Are you going to come all this way and just let one sentence stop you? How hungry are you? How bad do you want it? Are you going to come all the way to church and sit in service and not get after God in the service? Good answer is what he says. Good answer. He said, now go home for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed and the demon was gone. Everybody say amen. That, that's showing us over and over and over that God rewards those who will seek after him, who will hunger and thirst after him. God rewards us. He wants to reward us. Have you ever thought about like with that woman, she said, the gentlewoman comes to Jesus and asks, and Jesus said, well, you're, you're not even a Jew. Shouldn't I feed the Jews first? Yes, Lord, you should. But even the, the dogs get scraps from the, from the table of the children. Jesus said, that's exactly what I want. I want to hear some persistence in your voice. I want you to understand that, that maybe this distress in your life, this distraction in your life is actually part of your destiny in life if you will show God that you're hungry through it. Amen? Come on, if this is for anybody today, say amen, would you? That God is speaking to somebody here today and saying, listen, you came here today on Memorial Day weekend you got burgers marinating at the house, steaks marinating at the house, but God's got something he wants to feed today. He wants to encourage you to push through normal life and realize that there is more of him waiting for you. Amen? Listen, listen to this. He even addresses this in the future. This is a scripture that's kind of haunted me throughout the years. When I read it, I, I pray, Lord, please don't ever let this be me or, or us at South Point. It's in Revelation chapter 2. God is speaking to John. John was a, a slave out on the island of Patmos. He was in prison. And he was given revelations, visions, and dreams, multiple ones, about the future and about current things and things going on. And this is what Jesus told John to communicate to the churches. There were seven churches that he was focusing on. But it's amazing how those seven messages apply to all churches, the world church. Listen to what he says. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that, you have, that those you, you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's good compliments from Jesus, right? He's laying it on. But then he says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is telling them like you're, you're on the right path. But what you've let happen is your, the second point I want you to get in your notes. Don't, don't let the world hack your hunger. Don't let the world hack your hunger. Don't let the world take what you used to be fired up for God. 
You used to share your faith, what God's doing in your life. You used to offer to pray for your neighbors or your coworkers. You used to get up 15 minutes early so you could go in there and, and kneel down in front of the sofa and, and yell for God and talk to God and whisper to God and, and tell God how hungry you are for him. Don't, don't lose that, he said. That's the only thing that I have against you is that you've left your, left your first love. You left me. You left being hungry for me. And it, what he challenges us to do, he said, go back and do those things you did at first again. I read that scripture and I remember when Jenny and I started dating, one of the things she did is she would put a little sticky note. She'd put a scripture that she was memorizing, sticky note, and she'd put it up on her dash or on her speedometer. She didn't use the speedometer anyway, so she just put that sticky note. Love you, babe. Put that sticky note on there. But it was funny because that got me like, okay, this girl I'm dating, she's already a dozen scriptures up on me. She can just quote them, where they're from, what they were, and tell me those verses. And it got me to memorizing scriptures. And what's funny is I still use those scriptures today. I still, those, those scriptures that I'm adding to constantly, I can still pray those. And I still remember some of the early ones that they were the early ones that when I memorized those in my baby stages of my faith, they made a giant impact on me. Sometimes I'll be talking to God or praying and I'll start quoting one of those verses and I'll just tell God, thank you that when I was just a few months old spiritually, that you showed me that verse at the right time when I needed it, that you illuminated my life, that you gave me some direction through that verse that was written 2,500 years ago. You showed me that, Lord, thank you. And you understand like those are the things we need to go back and do the, the things over again. And when you feel the world that is hacking your hunger for God, Listen, all through scripture, it gives us solutions for that. One of the strangest places is in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's happening to the people that Hosea was speaking to, the nation of Judah. He was speaking to them and they were having issues. And listen to what he says in Hosea chapter 10. It says this, so righteousness, sow righteousness for yourself. That means plant it, sow it, sow righteousness for yourself. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And here's a great one and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. It is time to seek the Lord. It's time to break up the unplowed ground. Have you ever ever thought about what that means in your life? Have you ever thought about, does that, maybe there's something I've never done in my life that I need to do. Maybe I've plowed over here. Maybe I've sowed righteousness over here. But this area of my life, I've never ventured into this. I've never stirred up my faith in this area. And can I tell you one of those areas that used to be for me? Oh, it's, it's a rough word in my life, fasting. Can I get an amen or an oh me on that? Yeah. When God challenges us to fast, and I, I remember our church, we got, I got saved in, and Jenny and I started dating in. We, our pastor challenged us to fast, pick sometime three days or a month or pick a, a, a specific thing or pick a specific style of fast or whatever it was. And I remember we did the Daniel fast, just kind of patterned after the, the, what Daniel did in the book of Daniel and took out some grains. And we, that means bread. Oh, Lord. And all kinds of stuff. And, and I've never liked guacamole in my life. I always thought it looked like what was in a baby diaper. I just thought that I'm not supposed to eat stuff that looks like that. And I remember, though, about two weeks in, we did like a 21-day Daniel fast. And about two weeks in to this fast, we figured out that you can have guacamole. Because when you're on a fast, can I tell you that everything that, even, that you've never even eaten before starts to look really good? 
Because you can't have some of the things that you want. That's what fasting's about. So push that body. So let that body know you're not in charge. You don't tell me when you're hungry. I'll tell you most of the time when you're hungry. That's what fasting's about, putting the, the flesh under submission. But can I tell you, like even last night, we went and ate and what I got, what I got on my meal intentionally was guacamole to eat. Multiple times of fasting over and about the third or fourth year that we did the Daniel fast, I fell in love with guacamole. And, and what's great about that is like through that process, through a physical process of fasting, God was teaching me constantly spiritual things. Have you ever done that? Like you, you're hungry for God and you try something spiritually. And then when you're, you're doing it, God teaches you these spiritual lessons in life. And God says, Scott, if you'll continue to put your faith in me, press in, do things that you don't like, but you know that are good for you. I'll change your appetite from this world to me. Just like I changed your appetite from not liking guacamole to liking it, I love it now. Every, any way you can fix it, less cilantro, the better, but I love guacamole. Can I tell you, it's that same way spiritually. As you press in, as you hunger for God, as you plow up that unplowed ground in your life, try some things you've never tried before, return to your first love. Don't let the world hack your hunger. God says, man, that's, that's exactly what I want. And that's why he rewards people who hunger and thirst after him. That's why he fills us. Can I tell you, I, I, I get that way too. I'm not perfect for sure. And I get to where I'm paying less attention to the spiritual things I'm supposed to be paying attention to and more busy things in life. And I catch myself being spiritually hungry. And I think about these verses. And I go, Lord, I don't, I don't want to get my, my hunger for God hijacked by this world. Will you help me think of some things? Will you help me get my sticky notes back out and start memorizing some scriptures? I, sometimes I'll just, if when I run across a scripture, I will literally copy and paste it on my little U version to my email and let it sit in my inbox for a week. So every time I open up my inbox, it'll be at the top and it'll remind me and I'll say it three or four times or I'll copy and paste it over and delete half of it. So I can try to remember the second half just to break up that unplowed ground in my life, just to stir up what God's doing in my life. Because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God rewards those who are hungry and thirsty for him. Amen. Let me, let me share one last passage with you, probably one of my favorites in the entire Bible. You want to hear my favorite, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament. It's not even a New Testament one. And it's about an eight-year-old. You don't read a whole lot of stories about eight-year-olds that change the course of a country. But in 2 Kings chapter 22, you get to read about Josiah. Josiah who changed the course of a country. Listen to what he says. Josiah, this is in verse one of 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now I'm not gonna read you the whole chapter, but about two chapters there, which are incredible. I'm gonna paraphrase it so we can get to the end because that's the good part. Josiah was the king. His dad's grandpa, so that'd be his great grandpa, I think that's right, was Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, it says, did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and began to let pagans that believed in other gods build temples and idols to their gods in Judah. And then Manasseh's son, Amon, also says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
that Amon was Josiah's dad. So for two generations since Hezekiah, these kings have allowed the, the people that came in from outside of Judah, as they came in, different, different countries, different uh, nationalities came in, different faiths came in. He let them bring their religions with them and build idols and temples in this area. And now two generations later, they have forgotten who's God, who God is. And the temple of God has become just maybe a little more than a storage area for them. But here's what's great. In the middle of chapter 22, it says, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. So he reigned for 31 years. In the 18th year, they were cleaning out the temple. The priests were cleaning out the temple. He wanted to spiff it up a little bit. He was doing something that hadn't been done. He was plowing some of the unplowed ground in his life, stuff that had been closed up for two generations, all right? Just because mom didn't do it or dad didn't do it or just because great grandma didn't do it for sure doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Amen? Sometimes you got to get in there and fix some things. But cleaning the temple, it says that they found the book of the law. Those first five books of the Bible that guided the Jewish nation and how to live. They found the book of the law and they returned it to Josiah and they began to read it out loud. And it says Josiah tore his clothes and fell face first and began to repent and ask God for forgiveness that they had lost their way, that they hadn't been following what God wanted. They continued to read the book, read it Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and these incredible stories of God delivering people and establishing his law and then blessing them into the promised land. And, and he was saying, this is for everybody who puts their faith in me. And Josiah said, that's it. Here's what we're going to do. We're putting together the army and all the high priests and we're gonna travel the country and at any pagan temple or idol, we're gonna tear down. And any pagan prophet that was buried, we're gonna dig up their bones and we're gonna burn them. That's getting serious, folks. Like that, that, that's not just talking the talk, that's walking the walk. And they continued to do that over and over. They traveled for weeks and weeks and weeks, tearing down temples. They would say, well, what is this cemetery for? Well, these are the prophets of Baal. And they would dig up the prophets and they would take them and put them on the altar of God. And they would burn them and say, they, they are not worthy to be known around here. We're not going to show their monuments. We're not going to save them a place. They're done. And, and they had the crowds of people walking with them. People from every town would follow them and watch them as they would just dig up graves and tear down temples. It was an incredible sight. Can you imagine what that was like? And listen to what it says in 2 Kings in the next chapter, verse, chapter 23, down in verse 16. And this is Josiah speaking. He says, what is that monument over there, Josiah asked? And the people of the town told him, listen to this. It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted the very things you have done to the altar of Bethel. Look, What? What are you talking about? So, so somebody came here in the past and they said there was gonna be this really good looking, handsome guy come show up who was following God and that he would restore God's commandments the way they were supposed to be in our culture. See, when I read that the first time, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna find out when. And you have to go back 310 years before Josiah in 1 Kings 13, and we're gonna read it together. This is the last one. It says this, at the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah. That's all we know him by. We don't know which prophet it was, what his name was. All we know is that it was a man of God from Judah. He went to Bethel, arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. 
Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. Here we go, folks. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priest from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense and human bones will be burned on you. Hey, can I tell you something right now? God knows way ahead of time who in here is gonna be hungry for him and he is already setting up your future. Can, can you imagine what Josiah is feeling now? So he's come from multiple generations of people who weren't following God. But it wasn't an excuse, is it? Josiah found the word of God. He was exposed to what God really wanted in his life. And he said, you know what? On hearing that, I'm changing everything, right? We're, we're throwing away the bad movies, amen? Ooh, that was reluctant. We're, we're, we're gonna get our lives right. We're gonna be faithful to what God wants in our family, in my personal life. We're gonna return to God. We're gonna seek him and we're gonna hunger and thirst after what he wants in our life. And God rewards that. Let me, let me tell you, this is what it would be like. Tomorrow you go to grandma's house. We'll just say that. You go to your grandma's house and you're sitting there and your other relatives are talking about you. And the relatives are going, hey, you know, David, David over there, cousin David. I'm gonna use you, David, all right. Cousin David's over there. He's, he's been acting really weird the last year or two. You know, he moved to Oklahoma from Michigan and he got around a bunch of those Jesus freak rednecks down there and really just, just got on fire for Christ. He'd, he'd been straightening up his life. You know, they end up having a baby and, and they're, they're teaching this baby the right thing. They're praying for the baby. I mean, have you ever heard anybody pray for a baby? Babies don't know anything, right? And him and his wife, they're serving God. They're serving in their youth group. They're serving in their church. They're doing all kinds of stuff to just follow God. They're hungry and thirsty for God. And all of a sudden you hear grandma go, is that true, David? Yep, that's true, grandma. That's true. Hold on a minute, David. I got something for you. Can you imagine if grandma left after all that? You'd, you'd be going, Joanna, grab the baby. We may have to make a run for this. She's heading for the buckshot or what she's going for. I don't know. But what if grandma came out and she said, now I want everybody here at this Memorial Day burger deer finger feast to understand what this is. This is my grandma's Bible. So they would be your great, great grandma's Bible. And in the front of it, she wrote something right here, says this. Many years from now, a child named David will be born into this family and his hunger for righteousness and love will turn this family from death back to life. And I believe right now today, what great grandma wrote was about David. Can you imagine what Josiah was going through? Can you imagine what David would be going through if that happened this weekend? Do you know that that's exactly what God said he wants to do for every single one of us? I, I know it's in you, he says. I know, I know that because I put it in you. Just like you're hungry for the lunch today or hungry for a barbecue tomorrow, whatever it is, I put that same spiritual thing in you, that thing when you pull up to the table of the world and you, you eat and then you push away and you're still hungry for something more. I put that spiritual thing in you 
that drives you to say, there's got to be something more. There's got to be more to God. There's got to be more. And God's saying, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. If you will hunger and thirst after me, if you'll return to your first love and do some of those first things over again, if you'll plow up the unplowed ground, if you'll do some of those things, I'm here to tell you that I will reward those who hunger and thirst after me. Amen? That's what this is about today. All through scripture, you've heard it from Old Testament to New Testament to Revelation. God is saying, don't lose your hunger. Don't lose your hunger for me. Don't don't ever get on autopilot. Realize that from generation to generation to generation, God's keeping tabs. He knows what your family's going through. He knows what you're going through. And he's saying, don't let the world hack your hunger. Don't let it hijack your hunger. You stay faithful if if you have to. Start memorizing some new scriptures. If you have to, why don't you plow up some some of the unplowed ground, things in your life maybe you've never done. Maybe it's time for you to fast. Maybe say, you know what? For the next month, I'm not gonna have my favorite drink, whatever that is. Just so every time I think about it, I'm gonna say, Lord, I'm gonna focus on you this month. This is about focusing on God, driving myself to him. And this this is the last thing I want you to get today. Whether it be Josiah whether it be the gentle woman, blind Bart, the woman with the issue of blood, God will meet you in your effort. Point number three, God will meet you in your effort. That's what Matthew 5 says, you know that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know what that translates to in the Morris edition? God meets you in your effort. When you're plowing up the the unplowed ground, God will meet you there. When you're pushing through the crowd to touch Jesus, God will meet you there. When you're blind or or spiritually blind and you're yelling out, hey, Lord, will you help me? Will you show me in the crowd? And the people around you are going, shh, this isn't cool. Jesus will meet you there. That's what God's word is all about. I already know it, he says. I already wrote it in my book generations ago. You can do some things. You, if you will hunger, and you will thirst, I will fill you. Amen? That's what we're talking about today. That's what I want to pray for today. Will you close your eyes with me today? I don't know where you're at spiritually, but if you say, Scott, I'm hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry for more of God in my life. I don't feel like I'm as close as I should be, and I just want more of God in my life. I'm tired of where I'm at. This prayer is for you. While I pray, will you just tell him? Just say, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to push through the crowd, and I'm going to touch the hem of your garment. Lord, I'm going to throw myself at your feet and beg for for guidance and direction and help. Lord, I'm going to break up the unplowed ground, do some things I've never done before. And all of this, because I believe that you bless those who hunger and thirst for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for your word that challenges us from our heart, from our souls. Jesus, it's easy, 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 easy for this world to come in and hijack the hunger that we have for you, to replace it with all the blessings that we say are from you. We're so blessed by everything. It's Sometimes it's easy for us to not desire you, to have a passion and a hunger for you. But today, Lord, we pray that you would guide us to break up the unplowed ground, that you would guide us to push through the, the crowds in this world, the things that would get between you and us. Because Lord, we wanna touch your life. We want you to touch our life. Like Josiah, we want to get back to where we should be in our families, in our personal life. We want you to to guide us, not not remove your lampstand from us, Lord. Don't remove the light from our life, but help us to be led back to you. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that's gone through struggles and difficulties, things in this life that distract us from you, that hurt us, that turn our hearts from you. And we pray that today, 
today, this day in May, 2018, that you would revive a hunger in our heart, that you would help us like blind Bart to call out, that you would help us like the gentle woman to fall at your feet. You would help us like Josiah to make some changes. And that through all of that, Laura, that you would bless us, that you would fill us, that you would love us. Jesus, we love you today. We pray that this would be the beginning of an incredible time in our life, a time of growing, a time of changing, a time of maturing, a time of hearing you and seeing you. We're hungry for you, Jesus. We pray that you would fill us. In your name, we pray.